Hello and welcome back to the Eclipse Nation podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant, and I apologize for the hiatus we've taken in getting back to this show. Um, it's been a short off season, but we're happy to be, have the Clippers back and be talking to you about this team once again. I am joined by Blake Harris, also of Clips Nation. Blake, how are you doing? Yeah, I was just thinking about when the last time we did this. I know you you did, I think, a few once the season ended, but I think the last time I did this was after like game five or six. So it uh it's been it's been a while since I was last on the podcast. A lot unfortunately I, has changed. I think but we uh, talked about Doc Rivers being fired. Oh, maybe we did. So, I thought, yeah, yeah. honestly everything time's going by so much. <laughs> Actually, you're right. I was gonna say I didn't now that I'm thinking about it, oh my goodness, yeah, that happened this offseason as well. It's just as you said, it's been so quick, nothing's happened. But yeah, good to be back. Uh, we were just talking the fact that we're going to have games literally in like three or four days still doesn't seem right. It feels weird, but hey, it's more gives us more than something to do. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's interesting because the Clippers have had a really hectic offseason on one hand, but on the other yeah. hand, like this has also been a much smoother off season than it was last year because they have everybody healthy coming into camp or from what I understand, most everyone is healthy coming into camp. I'm right. sure there are some exceptions that I haven't been able to figure out from watching the B roll of practice footage, but <laughs> other than Jay scrub, who was their 55th pick and had foot surgery and is expected to be out like three to four months, everybody's ready to go. And that is a big change from last year. I think that's the most important thing the Clippers have going for them is that everyone is available. And I mean, what do you think that's going to do for the team to start this season? Yeah, you know, they, they talked about it last year where it was like, you know, they only had like the seven or eight games where everyone was fully healthy. But even then it was like, it was a while until there was a legit just practice where mm-hmm. everyone was healthy and ready to go. And yeah, from what there's, like you said, I mean, who knows what's going on behind the scenes, but for the most part, According to what everyone's been saying, everyone's fully healthy, ready to go. Uh, so, you know, entering the season, you know, training camp, preseason, start of the regular season, everyone is going to be healthy, which I think, you know, for the most part, everyone, it's weird how they say uh, being unable to have everyone together at the beginning of the season, that really impacted us. And you wonder, how is it that something that happened like so many months ago, how would that have an impact on them? But apparently it did supposedly did so. You know, I'll take their words saying that having everyone together is a huge deal as big as they say it is. So, again, the fact that, you know, they're all healthy, especially, you know, Kawhi, PG, because they were kind of going back and forth. Kawhi, for the most part, was fine last year. It was just the load management. PG was dealing with his lingering thing. So, hopefully, they're both ready to go. And uh, I know we just got the update the other day about the new, uh, like, load management uh, rules for like primetime mm-hmm. games or something like that. So hopefully that'll that'll give them more opportunities to see more games on the court together, continue to build that chemistry that supposedly they didn't really have as much last year. And I think it's a good sign. I mean, especially now we're looking for as many good signs as possible to take into account. And I, I think, you know, them saying they're all ready to go. I think that's definitely, it's better than not being ready to go. That's for certain. It's better yeah. than saying we have some random injuries. So it's, it's definitely it's better than the alternative. I would totally agree with that. Um, I'm, I'm most interested actually in terms of like the health of Luke Kennard and Nick Batum, because those were two guys who had real difficulty staying on the court last year. Right. And, um, you know, everybody says on media day or media week that it's happened to become, you know, for this particular NBA season that, you know, they're feeling in the best shape of their lives and they put on like 15 pounds of muscle or they lost right. such and such amount of weight. And like, they're totally ready to start the season. And like, I've never understood for the life of me, why you would want to put those kinds of expectations on yourself to start the year, because 
your contract is already signed. You know, you're not like on a non-guaranteed deal here. You don't have to right. impress anybody at this particular moment. <laughs> yeah. So why not set some lower expectations be like, yeah, you know, um, my knees are still a little, a little wonky. It might take some time to get things going. And then you've, you know, sort of set like a, a chart of improvement that you can, you know, progress over the course of the season instead of saying, nah, I'm, I'm ready to go hundred percent right now. Like don't expect anything less than my absolute peak, but right. whatever. That's neither here nor there, those media day cliches, but I'm glad <laughs> you brought up the, um, the load management thing because, you know, the NBA instituted a policy for this season that bars teams from resting healthy players for any high profile nationally televised games. So this policy came out Monday morning. Um, it's sort of in line with what the NBA has been trying to do over the last couple of years where they don't want players to sit out national games, right? They'd rather them sit out home games that are on local television because, you know, theoretically those fans have the opportunity to see them multiple times over the course of the season. And then, you know, you're not sacrificing a big NBA sponsored like TNT or ABC game. Um, but then they sort of like backtracked <laughs> um, and then said that like there would be concessions made for teams that had players, you know, who played deep into the postseason, and they're willing to let them sit on, you know, lower profile games. But the, the fact that they had to like say, you know, we're okay with your guys sitting these right. other games made me think that there was definitely some pushback to this rule. Um, I just think it's so strange that like they would be concerned with players being in the building, even if they're not playing, because who is that serving? You know, like, at the, at the most, there are going to be seven or eight teams that are allowing fans into arenas this year, right? or at least for the first chunk of the schedule, which is the yeah. part that's been released. And, you know, they're going to have what 15 to 20% capacity in those arenas. So we want those 15 to 20% of the eight out of 30 teams to be able to see the guy sitting on the bench. Like that's what's really important for the NBA to emphasize. I just think their resting policies are so abject nonsense and i didn't think it'd get worse than last year when you know they um bungled like Kawhi's medical release and ended up revealing that he had an injury that he was not trying to tell anyone about and it like right. completely destroyed his relationship with uh you know the media as if it could get any worse frankly but uh it's i don't understand what the nba is trying to do here i don't see why it's a problem that the guys want to rest like they knew this was going to be an issue when they started the season two months after the end of the last one. And I, for one think, you know, Kawhi needs to take back-to-backs off, you know, so be it if Pat Beverly needs to take back-to-back offs. Like I think the Clippers should be doing that. Um, they're probably going to spend enough time together just because they can literally go nowhere when they're on the road, <laughs> you know, like right. team bonding should not be an issue this year, but I mean, what are your thoughts on, you know, Kawhi continuing to load manage throughout the rest of this season? Yeah, I mean, you, you did everything perfectly. It's just for the most part, especially for the teams that were actually legit playing like two or three months ago. Like mm -hmm. it should not be a problem at all. I get it. Like if it's, you know, like my only thing is if it's one of those like ABC, like Saturday night, like 8 p.m. Eastern primetime games or something. But mm -hmm. if it's just like the TNT doubleheader or if it's like an ESPN game on like a Wednesday or a Friday night, I, I don't think it. I, I get what the NBA is saying. But again, especially like the Lakers for the most part, I mean, knowing LeBron, he'll probably be just as good to go. But like, I'd expect him to want a couple of days off here and there, considering that he was playing literally two months ago. So yeah, the NBA, what, what they released, you know, like you said, it was kind of all over the place. I got no problem with it. 
uh, again, for these guys, let them, let them, because there's going to be a lot of times this year we were playing back-to-back nights. They're, you know, it's kind of like what the old NBA was a few seasons ago when they, not, luckily they're not doing like that three and four stuff like, like right. what they used to do. But, you know, there are, there are going to be more games condensed into a smaller portion. And for some of these guys, again, they're going to need the rest. I know a lot of people are saying these guys are professional athletes, so they should be playing all games. But again, nowadays it's not the case. So I, I got no problem with it. But the NBA, as for always, they're all over the place with what exactly. I I don't know what exactly. Like, what do they truly want? So, uh, your, your guess is as good as mine on that. Yeah, I mean, if the NBA really wanted to try to fix something, I think the the thing to address right now would be that one of their biggest stars has decided not to report to training camp and is not being punished whatsoever for doing so. Um, not only is James Harden like not in Houston for camp, but he's publicly all over the place right. violating coronavirus protocols. Right. Um, and that's apparently perfectly fine, you know, within the player environment. But once you decide to sit a game that's, you know, on national television, then we have issues. Right. But yeah. I'm going to stop complaining about things that don't make sense to me. Um, let's talk more about the Clippers. So uh, they've got three preseason games coming up you know, before the start of the regular season, two against the Lakers, one against Utah. Uh, I would be a lot more excited about the preseason were they not playing the Lakers. And I know that might seem a little counterintuitive, but my theory is that this is still a team that they don't want to give up too much film against, you know, because you would expect to see the Lakers down the line in the playoffs. And not only are they going to be playing them twice during the preseason, they're also opening the regular season against the Lakers. So as excited as I am to see basketball starting again on Friday, my gut says maybe the Clippers aren't going to show much of anything against the Lakers. Maybe they will against Utah, you know, for that third game, but maybe they're going to treat this like a, a summer league game, you know, and give their younger guys an opportunity to sort of get their feet wet. But I don't know. What do you think? Am I reading too much into this or do the Clippers care that they're playing the Lakers or just excited to get back on the floor? Well, the NBA, they knew exactly what they were doing with this. That's, that's for certain. <laughs> Let's have overreactions, not only for the first two preseason games, but the first, you know, regular season game. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think for the preseason, it'll be kind of like what they do for the, at least this is what my guess is they'll do like for, for the NFL where they'll bring in like in the preseason games, the main starters for like the first quarter or two. And then at halftime, they'll bring everyone in. There's literally aside from maybe like just getting chemistry, going down for like you know Batum Canard the new guys but for the most part it's you know a fairly fairly the same team as last year so I don't think they really have to get chemistry going learn too much in regards to that maybe I guess play now under Ty Lue get some of that going but these preseason games yeah I wouldn't be shocked if they're just having you know the the G League guys in the bench guys in slowly doing stuff like that figuring things out because the preseason games don't mean anything and even then early on in the season we know the Clippers are going to be a playoff team. And for the most part, again, maybe next season, if they're able to get fans in by the playoffs in like June or July, maybe it'll make an impact. But for the most part, there's going to be limited capacity. Uh, it's not really going to matter if the Clippers get fourth seed, the fifth seed, if they have home court or not. They just want to get healthy. They want to make it through the season and be one of the top eights. So, yeah, early on in the season, especially opening against the Lakers, again, I'm not going to be shocked. I'm sure they're going to be competing, but this is going to be one of those things where it take a few weeks, figure things out, figure out rotations, figure out, again, what it's like playing under a new coach with Tyloo. I know Doc said something today about it. it was, oh yeah, Tyloo, he was right next to me. He, these guys are familiar playing under him. But I think it's going to be a new it's going to be new and there's going to be a lot of time I think, you know, figuring things out how exactly Tyloo likes things run and how it's going to work with Kawhi and PG. So, like you said, I'm not going to read anything into it. The 
the Clippers, if they start 0-3, I'm, the media is going to be all over it. I'm not going to, you know, get too <laughs> high up over it. And even then, I think for the Lakers part, I, I don't think either team, these preseason games or opening nights, I don't think they care whatsoever who wins. They could put all their bench players in and just say, all right, may the best team win with that. And I, I think they'll be okay with that. So it'll be interesting to see, especially again, considering there's so much still that has to have moving forward. But as I said, to kick things off, the NBA knew exactly what they were doing with this. They, they knew what they were doing by scheduling these teams like three times within the first, like what, like a 10, 11 day span, something like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, I'm inclined to give, you know, the league the benefit of the doubt with the preseason just because you kind of want to limit the travel as much as possible, you know, just yeah. for the start of the year. And having two teams that literally don't have to travel to play one another is just too good of an advantage, you know, not to yeah. not to <laughs> utilize. Yeah. Um, and I'm sort of with you, like, I don't really know what to read into these preseason games. But at the same time, I do think that, you know, the Clippers got a lot of flack for seemingly not trying during the regular season last year, you know, and taking yeah. games off and just not showing the same level of energy and intensity that you saw other teams like the Bucks and the Lakers approach, you know, the season with. And I, I do think that even in this condensed regular season where there will be, you know, nights when they'll have to rest guys just for, you know, they're older, you know, like Serge Ibaka's on the other side of 30, Nick Batum's on the other side of 30, uh, I'm not sure that PG's really in rest mode at this point. I think he has kind of an axe to grind after what happened last year. But, you know, there are four guys who I could see, you know, needing some sort of rest program um, on the Clippers. But I also think that, like, they need to approach the regular season with more of urgency than they did last year. So that's a very tricky yeah. balance, I think, for them to have to strike uh, in terms of, you know, managing that versus trying to build some sort of chemistry. Because like you said, it's not just a new head coach. It's an entirely new coaching staff. Like I right. think about when Ty Lu, you know, took that job in Cleveland in 2016, like he got bumped up obviously to head coach, but like all of the other assistants stayed on, right? Like that's not the case yeah. with the Clippers anymore. They have, I think one of the same assistant coaches and Jeremy Castleberry, who's uh, in case you didn't know, he's Kawhi Leonard's best friend who has been an assistant coach in San Antonio, Toronto, and now the Clippers. And I can't for the life of me, imagine how he got all those three jobs. But um, everybody else is different, right? Like there's yeah. no Rex Klamian, there's no uh, like, uh, who am I thinking of? Like John Welch, like the entire staff is just, it's not the same. So it's just an entirely new learning curve. Yeah. And I wonder what that's going to look like. But I do think that they have to try a little bit harder. I just don't think it's going to happen in the preseason. Because... I think they learned that the hard way. I mean, they learned that the hard way where, I mean, during the regular season, again, they were, they were definitely going like in half mode. They mm -hmm. sure they were trying, but I feel like if the Clippers truly wanted to, they could have won like 60 games last year if they would have mm -hmm. gone full out every single night, but they didn't. So hopefully, yeah, it was a wake up call what happened last year and they, you know, take it with more urgency. They take it more seriously. But yeah, like what you mentioned as well. Yeah. I mentioned the Tyloo thing. The fact that literally, yeah, the entire coaching staff is also pretty much completely switched. Uh, again, I, I don't know how big of an impact that will have, you know, on the games itself, but uh, it's definitely, again, something just to keep like a small note of and just something to, you know, keep your eye on again for the first few weeks or so when they're getting used to it. Yeah. So now that we've talked about all of the, you know, nitty gritty stuff with the Clippers, um, there's, there's a lot of reasons to be very excited about this upcoming season. And <laughs> As much as uh, this story kind of annoys me, I also think it's just delightfully funny. Uh, so Paul George was on a podcast with uh, Matt Barnes and Stephen Jackson, yeah. two lovely former Clippers, in which he said that he didn't really like the way he was used by Doc Rivers in the offense last year. He thought he 
sort of treated him more of like a J.J. Ruddick, Ray Allen type when Paul George's game is obviously a lot more um, complete than either of these players. I think that's yeah. fair to say, you know, neither of those two guys ever finished top three in MVP or, you know, in defensive player of the year voting, like that's for sure. And then he said that, you know, they sort of relied on their talent instead of any adjustments in that Denver playoff series, a sentiment that Marcus Morris also, you know, doubled down on when he spoke to the media. And, you know, Paul said all the right things about like, ah, you know, I, I still respect Doc. You know, I think he's a hell of a coach. I just didn't agree with everything he did. Like those two are mutually exclusive. And then Doc said, you know, well, in terms of adjustments, like, you know, Ty was sitting next to me the whole time. So I don't really know what he expects to happen. Right. Uh, all all <laughs> right. of this is to say that, one more thing that I'm mad at the NBA about is why is Philadelphia not on the first half of the schedule? Because this game, it's going to be so much fun. Right. Yeah. That like in typical dog, like I didn't, I just saw the quote. I didn't, I don't know. If the, I'm sure there's audio of it somewhere, but I could just, I can just imagine the way doc said it, mm-hmm. it when, when asked that. And like, I like, I'm not shocked that this happened. This came out and everything like, but yeah, you're right. The fact that it's not an early season, primetime game uh i'm sure like when that happens it's gonna be like when blake griffin came back like every camera was on him and yeah. everyone's gonna be making a big deal that he didn't shake bomber's hand and it's like what's what's that gonna be like pre-game but uh, doc like the thing the, the, it was the part about the tyloo thing well tyloo was right next to me so yeah. i <laughs> yeah that that was something uh, preseason drama already going on it seems like paul george has been all over the place like he was on all the smoke there's a much he came out and said there. Then there was stuff from his media day the other day. And it's like, no matter what Paul George says, for whatever reason, it's just completely taken way more out of context than it needs to be. And it just makes him look like a bad guy for anything he says, which I feel kind of bad for. But yeah, that, that doc exchange was, that was something that I was not expecting to get. Yeah, I, I think Paul George, like I mentioned earlier, is really invested in making sure that this season ends differently than the last one. And I'm not, I'm obviously like, you know, it's not up to him whether the Clippers win a title or not. I still think right. Kawhi is going to be the most important player if when that happens. But, you know, just personally, the way last season went down, you know, hitting the side of the backboard in game seven and like just there were very loud moments that went against Paul George. Yeah. Um, and I, for one, am like incredibly interested to see what he looks like fully healthy because there were stretches of last year where like he just seems like an unguardable player because he starts at shooting guard and there is nobody in the league who has the size to just put a hand up and like make Paul George feel their presence, you know, when they're standing in front of him, he's just so smooth. Uh, The way he defends, like he can just navigate through screens. Like it's nobody's business. It's like, was there even something set here for Paul George to get through, you know? Uh, And then, you know, when things go poorly, because, you know, like you said, Paul George has a tendency to say things that just get magnified by everybody, you know, uh, whereas Kawhi says nothing and then there's nothing to work with. Uh, <laughs> Paul George does exactly the opposite, which is where he says everything. And then there's just you can just pick and choose. It's like a lovely little platter to like, you know, say, what do I want to deal with, with Paul George today? Um, so, you know, people pick on him because he gives them the opportunity to. And I do think he's just going to be so motivated to start this year. I think maybe Zach Lowe was the first one to say that he was expecting like a giant revenge season out of Paul George, like all the way back in October. And, you know, the fact that he was saying, you know, I do my best when I'm comfortable and I feel comfortable now. And I feel like I did, you know, heading into my second season in Oklahoma city, you know, that was the year where he finished top three in defensive player of the year in MVP voting. And it was just one of those years where like, yeah, I would send five first round picks away to get Paul George on my team. Like that's how good he is. Uh, do you think there's a chance Paul George is better than Kawhi Leonard during the regular season this year or? 
Yeah, it's it's weird. Like when you think about it, because he was, you know, kind of not really healthy for the most part. There were kind of the spurts, like you said, where we saw, you know, the flashes of what he can be. But it just feels like last year we just never saw him, you know, at his best. Like even he had like that two or three game run in the playoffs where all of a sudden he was looking really good. But it seems like the entire year last year, he was kind of just the forgotten about guy. And we never really saw him do what he could do. Like again, in Oklahoma, the thing people forget is and I kind of forget it, too, about how random it is, it's like. When healthy Paul George, you know, you can make the case is a top five player in the NBA. Maybe not not anymore now with the emergence of Luca, Giannis, all that kind of stuff. But right. like again, when he was an OKC, like you said, when he was top three in defensive player of the year, top three in MVP voting, he was a top three, top five player in the NBA. Now, even still, when healthy, I think he could be a top 10 guy. And it's kind of forgotten about because you do have Kawhi here who is like a top five player. And it just seems like we haven't really seen it recently from Paul George. But as you said, if he's coming in this year fully healthy, finally, because, you know, last year, again, he had those lingering problems. And if he's motivated, if he has this confidence, you know, especially what happened in the playoffs, Paul George could be a scary player. I mean, it's not it's not a hot take saying he potentially can come out and win the MVP this season because we've seen him come close to winning it. So I, I'm excited to see what Paul George can do uh, this upcoming season. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I'm still going to give the edge to Kawhi just because, you know, we've seen it from him consistently. And Paul George, it, it's been, what, two-something years since we've seen it. But mm-hmm. I, I would not be shocked if Paul George is the better Clipper this season. I wouldn't be shocked by that whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting thought to have considering, you know, how those two finished last year were, I mean <laughs> – I almost feel silly for saying that, you know, Paul George was so bad last year that I think he could be better than Kawhi, but I really do think that motivation is a very powerful factor and mm-hmm. he's, you know, taking it in the chin a little bit in terms of all of this public stuff. So right. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what Paul George brings up. Any other Clippers that you're really excited to see what they look like this regular season at the start? I mean, I, I'm just, I guess the two new guys, I mean, with Kennard and but two, I mean, the thing with Luke Kennard is, and I remember when I, when I heard the initial Landry Shaman news, I was like initially taken away and I was like, but wait a second. I'm pretty sure Luke Kennard, like when he does play is a pretty good like weapon to have. And I, when I looked like how many games he's missed the last few seasons and whatnot. And I was actually talking to someone I know who's like an actual Pistons fan who's watched the games. And he's, he told me the same thing. He said, when this guy plays, he's really good. The only downside is, you know, he misses quite some time. So I'm really excited to see how he's going to look in this Clipper system. I, I was disappointed last year in Landry Shaman. I thought he was going to take, you know, the next step and kind of uh, elevate his game uh, and, you know, become more of a weapon. And he, there were times when, you know, he, he looked like a, a solid piece, but I was very under underwhelmed by him, especially in the playoffs. You know, he had some spurts, but I think Kennard's going to be a huge weapon uh, especially, I mean, I assume at this point, you know, he's going to slide right into that starting lineup, which is going to be a great addition. And Nick Batum, I mean, this guy last year, this is something I know everyone said, just throw it out. Pretend like it didn't happen. Pretend <laughs> like last year he missed all, all year due to injury because he was bad last year. But I saw that there were some things, maybe he just wasn't motivated playing in Charlotte for a lousy team and all that kind of stuff. He comes now to the Clippers. I think he's still, I don't know, like 32 or 30 something. Yeah. He's young, not old. He's a young 30. Yeah. He's yeah. Young 30. So he's not like up there in age. And just a few seasons ago for Charlotte, he had, you know, a pretty good season. This has been a guy, you know, throughout his career. I've always liked him. You know, when he was back on the Blazers years ago, he was a guy I really wanted the Clippers to get. I didn't think he was worth that math, you know, that max max contract he did get with Charlotte a few years back. But I, I think if he can, again, I'm not asking him to do what he did three or four years ago, but if he can come in, more motivated. And at this point, it's impossible to be worse than what he did last season. So yeah. already we're guaranteed to get a better Batum than last year. But I'm really interested and looking forward to seeing how he does. I mean, he's going to be a bench piece now and he's not going to have all, you know, 
all the eyes on him being that starter, being that guy that's making 30 million a year, which I think again, for you see it so many times in every sport, a change of scenery can do wonders for guys. And uh, again, if he's able to stay healthy, I think he could be a great addition off the bench. Those are the two guys for the most part. I'm looking forward to seeing the most. I know we're going to be getting out of Sergi Baca that, that I thought was a, a great pickup getting him. It's kind of ironic because for so long, I disliked Sergi Baca because of the rivalry between him and Blake Griffin. Right. When all, he was on the Thunder. All, yeah. those, all those early battles. But this is a guy, especially coming out, the exchanges between him and Kawhi were fantastic. And I expected nothing less, but I, I love that addition of Sergi Baca. But again, I think we know for the most part, what we're going to get out of him, it's going to be a huge role, but it's just kind of like, not knowing what Luke can like Luke Kennard can come out. He could straight up average 20 points a game this year. Like I wouldn't be shocked by that. He very well could. He probably won't because there's going to be, you know, too many points to go around. But again, Batum, he very well could be like a 10 points off the bench kind of piece where he's, you know, great, a great three point shooter. So those two guys, it's just the mystery aspect that really has me uh, excited. And I guess in the development of the young guys, especially the two, uh, the two picks the Clippers had last year, seeing how they develop, because I think that they're both, especially now given more of an opportunity, I think they're going to be able to flourish well. So the the two new guys with the question marks and our two, uh, our two young picks from last year. So you said something about Luke Kennard that sort of interested me. Um, you think he's going to step into the starting lineup? I, I mean, I would, I would think so. I'm trying to figure, I mean, I guess you, you have, let's see, PG, Kawhi, Serge, Zubak, uh, Pat Bev. I mean, who knows? Cause I know they did that thing last year where they were kind of impl- like, experimenting with different things uh i don't know i'd like to see him in the starting lineup i really would but not enough space to go around it's just again a guy like him it's really tough especially depending on how batum looks how are they going to make him work off the bench but i guess yeah i mean i I wouldn't be shocked i don't know i now that i'm thinking about it you're right like what what will they do I personally wouldn't be shocked if they try, you know, having a Bach off the bench, see how that looks, mm-hmm. where you kind of have him like in the Montrez Harold kind of role where right. he's not he's not getting the start, but he's still getting the workload of the minutes. I'm not exactly sure. I guess we'll have to find out in a few weeks when uh, Ty Lue rolls those guys out there and we'll see what he likes. I'm sure he's going to, you know, experiment with a lot of different things, but I, I, I'd like to see Kennard in the starting lineup. You know, I was I thought last year I really wanted Shamit to be in the starting lineup because mm-hmm. having a shooter like that, I mean, yeah, you can make the case, you know, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, they're they're good shooters, but Kennard, when this guy's hitting, this guy's hitting in all cylinders, and having a lockdown shooter like him, I, I think is great. But then again, it just for the most part at this point, and I've always said this, it doesn't matter who starts the game, it matters who finishes the game. So whether or not he's in the starting lineup, it's all good with me. But I, I would like to see him out there with a PG, you know, Kawhi, Pat Bev, see exactly how that looks. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you. Uh, my guess actually is that there are four starters who are set in stone for the Clippers, and those are. Yeah. PG, Kawhi, Marcus Morris, and Zubac. Oh my! You don't I, spend sixty-four million dollars on a right? guy and not start. I completely forgot that Marcus. I wow, that just goes to show how how long or short of an offseason <laughs> this has been. I'm completely forgetting about Marcus Morris. Yeah, you're right there. So I take back my canard in the starting lineup because no, then, yeah, but you I, have. I Marcus actually Morris agree there. with you. Where I love Patrick Beverly and what he brings in terms of that energy that he, you know, that tone that he sets at the start of every game. I think Ty Lue actually just talked about it during practice today. It was like, he, he's like the, the tone setter, right? Like he sets the right. energy for our team every single night. And I kind of liked how the Clippers had that, you know, with him in the starting lineup and Montrez Harrell off the bench. And obviously that's different now, but I actually really want Luke Kennard to start because I think, you know, the, the thing we always worry about with Kennard, I'm saying ways if the Clippers have had him for ages, but the thing that you worry about with Kennard is that he can't handle it defensively. 
But if you put him next to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and Zubach, who is an outstanding defensive center, there's a lot in that starting lineup to hide his weaknesses, right? Right. And you know, that, that, that allows you to play Patrick Beverly next to Lou Williams, who I just think are the perfect complement for one another because right. of how defensive minded Patrick Beverly is, how he doesn't need the ball in his hands. And then Lou Williams sort of gets to run the offense. Um, and again, you know, have a guy next to him who can take the harder guard assignment. So I really like the idea of Kennard in the starting lineup uh, at the point guard position. I'm not sure if the Clippers are going to do it because obviously they have a lot invested in Patrick Beverly. He's very much like the heart and like the identity of this team. Uh, the way they've been talking about him in practice suggests to me that they yeah. will end up starting him. Uh, but maybe it's all moot if like, you know, the Clippers actually stagger Kawhi and PG, you know, and have one of them on the court at all times instead of running out these all bench units like Doc Rivers loved to do. Yeah. Uh, and my guess is that Ty Lue is going to be better about the stagger because I'm just thinking about how it was in Cleveland where one of Kyrie or LeBron was always on the court at all times. Right. Uh, so I'm hoping that's the case with Kawhi and PG. And then, you know, then you're always, you know, guaranteed somebody to be a better defender than Luke Kennard and Lou Williams because well, if you play I, those two together, gonna... like it's, it could get a little flammable on the other end. Yeah, I was going to say with, with Lou Williams out there, you definitely need at least some sort of reinforcement. You need mm-hmm. help. And especially, like you said, if you're having Canard and that just seemed, I'm just picturing if Doc Rivers was still here, just the, I'm just picturing like Canard, Lou Will, Montrez. And Reggie Jackson. The, and Reggie Jackson out there, which by the way, yeah, Reggie Jackson's back. Yay. Uh, that <laughs> that would be something remarkable. But yeah, I'm, I'm still in disbelief how I just, the Marcus Morris completely slipped my mind and the fact that he he's back. So yeah, he'll be in the starting lineup, but it'll be interesting. I, I like what you said, potentially rolling Canard there at the point guard because- Pat, Pat Bev, I mean, like I said, as long as he is not fouled out by the five or six minute mark in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. I don't care what he does throughout you know, the <laughs> first three and a half, three and a half quarters of that game. As long as he's still available for those final five or six minutes of crunch time. Absolutely. And I don't think it's awful, you know, having him, you know, there with Lou, you know, when the bench unit comes out, but like you said, it's going to be interesting to see how Ty Lue does it, where I I've always loved that. Instead of just having the bench come in with the starters go out. I love when you keep a few starters in, bring in a few. And I think that'd be great having either PG or Kawhi, one of them, you know, in there with that unit. And uh, it'll be interesting because like you said, if you're having Lou will out there with Kennard and then God forbid, Reggie Jackson comes in as well, you're going to need uh, you're going to need like Kawhi Leonard's defense from like 2014, 2015, like a lot when he answered the game and LeBron looked over and saw he was entering the game. Like you're going to need that Kawhi defense and we're going to need Serge Ibaka back in his OKC days, mm-hmm. his defensive abilities, because that is a, a lineup I am going to be completely worried about unless the Clippers <laughs> are up by 40 points. I do not want to see that at any point of the season. Yeah, I mean, like you brought it up, I think it helps that Serge Ibaka or Zubac is going to be on the floor at all times. I think they're not going to play any center minutes without the two of them unless, you know, you go small at the end of the game, which is, you know, very much just like uh, for a closed game type of situation. Yeah. But it it definitely helps to have one of those two guys in the paint because they're both really good rim protectors. And that's just something, you know, the Clippers didn't have all 48 right. minutes last year. You know, they only had that for the 18 minutes or whatever that Zoo was playing. So. Um, even if, you know, the perimeter can get a little leaky, which could happen, you know, at least they have some sort of backline defense to make that better. Uh, but I just want to, you know, end on that one thing that you mentioned about the young guys, uh, you know, the Florida State guys, Terrence Mann, Fiondu, Kevin Gelly. Uh, we saw a lot of man. I don't know about a lot. We saw enough of man last year, I think, to get an idea of what he looked like. Obviously, Fee was mostly with the G League, uh, didn't even come to the bubble, which was 
kind of a downer, but right. you know, the way the season is set up this year, like it's possible that the Clippers don't even have a G league season. Um, yeah. And that kind of demands that all of their guys are with the big team, you know, all season. And I, I kind of think that's going to be great because, you know, there's a, you know, an argument to be made that like our guys develop better when they're with the G league, they get to play more minutes, you know, they get more individualized attention. Whereas here we have so many other guys to focus on, but I just think being around the NBA guys is such a huge help for them. Like for fee, he's already talked about how being around surge, who is just like the archetype of who he wants to be, right? Like this stretch five rim protecting defensive player. Like that's exactly the kind of player he wants to become. And it's just a perfect opportunity for him to learn from him. And then even with man, right? Like there's, you know, a lot of new players on the team this year. And from what I've heard, Terrence is just a super smart guy and he knows everything that the Clippers are trying to run. And it's just useful to have a guy like that around when, you know, there's so much lack of continuity. So I'm really interested to see what those two guys do. Uh, We mentioned that, you know, one of the Clippers rookies scrub is not going to be playing for most of the season. They've got another center from Minnesota, Daniel Oturu, who I literally know nothing about and do not expect to be playing much beyond the, the bigs that the Clippers already have. Right. But those two Florida State guys and Amir Coffee, I'm I'm really intrigued to see what they can do getting to spend all of their time with the Clippers. Yeah, I mean, I I, I get it. it goes both ways where it's like you want them playing meaningful games, consistent minutes, but having them, you know, in the locker rooms with those guys, we saw with Terrence Mann, where I think like maybe that's just how he's always been his confidence and swagger. But like whenever he was out on the court, he just seemed like it, he wasn't a rookie. He seemed like he was kind of like a, a couple years in the NBA. And I think that was largely due to just him being with the guys and them kind of rubbing off on him. And especially for fee, uh, I, his comments on Serge Ibaka the other day, I think Serge is pretty much, pretty much going to like just mentor him now, kind of take him under his wing. And I think it's going to give him a better chance to develop. These guys are going to be in practice with him. You know, as you said, now the fact that they can't really do anything outside of traveling they're all together, they're going to be building more chemistry. They're going to be developing better relationships. And yeah, especially for those two guys. And, again, and like you said, Amir coffee, which I'm excited to see him again, because he showed flashes last year of, you know, being a pretty good bench piece, yeah. I would say. And I, I'm really excited to see, you know, the growth. I mean, Fee, uh, granted, it was in the G League last year, but you can't but help just be super excited for this guy. Granted, he's not going to be doing this in the NBA this year, but sure. the potential's, you know, easily there. It's if, I, I don't know, I don't have what his exact stats are in front of me, but I just mm-hmm. remember they were remarkable. And again, if it's the G League, if it's so easy, how come he was like the only player, you know, averaging these crazy, crazy numbers. So I think with him, especially, I'm really excited to see where he can fit in, how he's able to develop. The good thing is the Clippers, they don't need him or Terrence Mann to be anything just but a a couple minutes off the bench type guy this year. If they get anything extra out of them, fantastic. But this is just a year, develop him a little more, get him a a little more experience. And maybe by next year, these guys are going to be, you know, good solid bench pieces maybe depending on how things turn out they're going to be guys averaging 15 20 minutes a game for them but yeah I, i'm really excited to see especially you know getting all the development and grooming under some of these guys uh, i'm really looking forward to seeing how that turns out yeah we talked about all these you know additions that the clippers made this offseason with you know surge luke batum but i i honestly think the most impactful might have been that they hired kenny atkinson because all of the guys have already talked yeah. about how just revamped their player development has been you know this season uh, just right. from the few days of training camp and like Kenny Atkinson, like his record speaks for itself, right? Like the, the Hawks players that he developed and with the nets, you know, you've got Levert and Joe Harris and Dinwiddie and all these guys who just were 
bit players and then turn into real life NBA rotation players who right. you know have trade value. <laughs> like that's a lot of that comes down to Kenny Atkinson. And I think it's really great that the Clippers, you know, showed some interest in that side of the ball because uh, uh, developing young players has not been a huge priority over the last few years for the Clippers. You know, uh, Shea yeah. obviously was tremendous. He had a great relationship with Sam Cassell, but I think a lot of that comes down to just shaving it tremendous player not so mm-hmm. much the clipper is having an infrastructure in place for him to succeed um but yeah i i think it's just super cool that player development is now like a big priority for the clippers and i think because of the way the season is structured we're going to see the benefit of that and that is really cool that like young players might actually have an opportunity to do things for this team yeah i'm just saying the last few years i'm thinking maybe the last like 15 or so like aside from shea maybe like blake and eric gordon but aside from that, I'm trying to think you're just like young players in general that they've tried to <laughs> develop. And that's, uh, it hasn't really gone anywhere. So like you said, it's great that they're bringing in, which again, the Kenny Atkinson one, I remember when I heard that was just a rumor. I was like, Oh yeah, like, please like, yeah, well, let us get that. And then he came in. I, I thought that was great, which again, that's just something where the Clippers, they, they pull these moves. They're under the radar type things where you don't think anything of it. You just think, okay, they're bringing the guy in, but you don't really realize how much of an impact, how significant it truly is. And I, I think it's going to benefit the Clippers greatly. And I, I still can't believe, you know, Kenny Atkinson, Kenny Atkinson, he was let go by the Nets. I thought that was, you know, a, a dumb move on, on their end because he's he's a great, great coach. But, hey, it, it, you know, their losses are gained on that one. Yeah, got to love when Steve Ballmer just, like, you know, flexes his checkbook and, like, hey, you know, former head coach, <laughs> want to sit on my staff? Like, we've, we've got the dollars to make that happen. Right, like, what name you're asking price? All right, here's an extra, like, two mil. We got it. Go. <laughs> All right. Well, um, the Clippers start preseason this Friday against the Lakers. Uh, they've got another game on Sunday against the Lakers, and hopefully we'll be back after those two to talk about what we've seen from the team so far. But until then, thank you all for listening to the show. Thank you, Blake, for coming on, and we will talk to you soon.